Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Joining me today are, judging from this Zoom call, the freshly shorn staff writer, Zach Cram. You're looking good today, Zach. Howdy. And uh, as always, Mr. Chalk, the Williams Astadio hater, uh, Haters Club president and Ringer staff writer and best-selling author, Ben Lindbergh. Ben. I am also freshly shorn, but I don't get a compliment on my haircut. Uh, you don't get a compliment on your haircut because one, you always look good, and two, Zach <laughs> wow, looked <thanks>. like Zach. <laughs> Zach looked like somebody had deflated Lance Lynn on the the call last week. So it had been a while. Somebody had gone into the woods for four months and and come back out for this podcast. I won't tell my wife that you didn't compliment her handiwork. This is her second quarantine haircut. She's getting I'm good no at kidding. this. Yeah, she should. I'm getting to the point where. I'm going to need one. I got a haircut before I went to Arizona for spring training and haven't had one since, and it's getting hot up here. So I might ask for advice uh, after the show on that. Uh, So anyway, there has been baseball, I guess, in some cases and not others. The Marlins outbreak seems to be approaching something that they might be able to pass off as an end. They're on the schedule uh, with the Orioles on Tuesday night. Ish, there's as we record on Tuesday afternoon, we are awaiting uh, further test results. Uh, the Phillies are back in, or were back in action on Monday night. Uh, they are off on Tuesday against the Yankees because of a uh, hurricane passing through the northeastern United States. So uh, you know, the hits just keep on coming. Uh, the Cardinals and Brewers had their weekend series uh, called off. The Cardinals and Tigers have had their uh, their series this week postponed. Um, Lorenzo Cain opted out this weekend, parallel to the the announcement that that Cardinals Brewers series got called off, and uh, Joanna Cespedes has opted out of the season um, in very Metsy and weird circumstances. So this has all been covered on the the barbecue pod. Uh, so we're not going to belabor uh, any of this. We're just sort of continuing to wait for updated protocols. To you know, I just don't know if we're going to have one of these outbreaks. And one team misses an entire week of action every week of the season. Yeah, there's just sort of a constant sense of foreboding where one of these clusters breaks out and you hope that it's as contained as possible. And then when that team takes some time off and you don't get any positive tests for a while, you just hope that there isn't an outbreak somewhere else. So right now it appears that we are maybe getting a handle on this and most teams are in action. So that's good news. It it looks like it looked like things were on the verge of really spiraling out of control and the situation hasn't worsened, at least since the Cardinals cluster started. So that is qualified good news. I guess that's what passes for good news this year. And I think one interesting uh, strategic wrinkle that's come out of this is there have been a couple of rule changes on the fly. And I think in a normal season, I would be a lot more resistant to some of these rule changes, but something like the double header change where now because teams are having so many games canceled uh, there might be a lot of double headers between now and the end of the season to try and make those up and to try and keep pitcher usage under control to prevent players from just spending too much time on the field. They've decided that all double headers this year will be seven innings long. And I think on principle, that kind of goes against one of the fundamental things. The first thing you learn about baseball is that it's nine innings long. But in a season like this, I kind of understand it. And there's not... I'm not so opposed to a rules change like this where it's not messing with, I think, the shape of the game in a way that some of the other changes we've talked about earlier are doing. Yeah, and they're softening the ground for the possibility that every team might not play the same number of games. I think once we've crossed that particular Rubicon, all bets are off. Yeah, and this is way over the horizon right now, but I am interested to see how many of these changes stick beyond this season, or if they don't completely stick, at least have some influence, whether we're talking about shorter games or shorter extra innings or fewer games. All of these things maybe are kind of anchoring us to the idea that this is conceivable, that it's still Major League Baseball if you put an automatic runner on second to start the 10th or you play a seven-inning game, it's still the same sport, which I think a lot of people probably would have quibbled with under more normal circumstances. So I'm with Zach. It's all, I think, reasonable for this season alone, but I am curious to see how much of it sticks around beyond that. 
I view a lot of these rule changes as at best a necessary evil during exceptional circumstances. Right. Um, so it, it's something like the universal DH, which I guess I'm just going to have to be annoyed about because that, that horse has definitely left the barn that's coming in, um, in 2022 at the latest, but, uh, stuff like the, the seven inning double header, you know, it's, it's fine. What I do like, and we've seen some of this stuff in, in other sports where, They've taken uh, taken these circumstances as uh, an opportunity to think outside the box a little bit. Baseball is very traditionalist and very set in its ways, and that's something that you know ordinarily I like about it. But this is uh, an op- a chance to to evaluate uh, you know what are we doing just because it's the way things have always been done, and so yeah, I. You know, I'm not I don't think anybody in their right mind is going to stamp their feet about the the legitimacy of of this season because it's already so weird. And and it's yeah, I, I, but MOB changing the, the roster rules or the schedule on the fly. I think you just have to be that fluid. Uh, you have to be that nimble in order to have any chance of getting this done. So you know, maybe that um, that. Creativity is probably not the right word, but uh, but that attitude will. will continue going forward. Yeah, their hand has been forced. And a lot of these things were tested in the minors, so you could kind of see the writing on the wall anyway. The seven inning games or the extra runner rule, those were sort of in the works. It wasn't clear if or when they would make the leap to the majors. And now the seal has sort of been broken. So we'll see if they will put that back in the bottle. I guess I'm mixing my metaphors here, but it kind of took odd circumstances and strange circumstances to make MLB change. And you would never wish for the circumstances of this season but perhaps having been forced to make all of these changes, they'll be more willing or more able to make major changes in the future. And I think, Ben, you wrote a piece before the restart began that given the strangeness of the season, we might have to approach it differently and more from just a pure aesthetic enjoyment perspective as opposed to breaking down statistics, which are just hard to do in a small sample or focusing intently on the standings. I think right now, I'm not sure if the playoffs will even happen. So I'm not so concerned about the playoffs as I would be in a normal season once we got to August. And I think just as these new rules changes come out, I'm drifting more and more in that direction. And we'll talk in a minute about all the the positive aesthetic parts of the game that we've been enjoying so far. But I think just a, I've been appreciating what we have while also you know feeling the tension of there are teams with sick players and games getting postponed. And I think that tension will continue to exist throughout the season. But I think for now, the fact that these on the fly changes are just taking away a little bit more of the quote unquote legitimacy this season makes me drift even further in that direction. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. You know, I sort of view this as it's absurd. You know, it's absurd that the, they're playing through these conditions that the Marlins outbreak didn't shut down the season right then and there. Um, but at the same time, that's it's in keeping with the absurd larger societal conditions. And so that like nothing is normal, nothing is right and just right now. And so it's hard to take a cold analytical view of, of anything, let alone something as trivial, trivial as baseball right now. Um, and that, you know, I, I've had almost exactly the same reaction, Zach, where I, I find myself um, enjoying the the on-field product more. I think maybe this is a, a case of, of absence making the, the heart grow fonder that we, you know, we came so close to having this, um, to, to having a season when it started in, in or when, um, when lockdown started in March. And now it's by the time opening day rolled around, we hadn't seen meaningful baseball in about nine months. And so it's just, you know, it's nice to, to have that back. I'm enjoying the, the rhythms of the game. And, and there is, I think a sense of, of heightened importance to each individual game because the, the season is, is so short and, and so unpredictable. Like we're talking about this, or I don't know, you were talking about the, the Orioles sweeping the race, for instance, this would have been a non-event in a 162 game season, but now it's like, oh crap, like this changes everything now. Yeah, I, I want to offer an apology to uh, any Orioles who listen to this podcast. I predicted 
a couple weeks ago that the Orioles would win fewer than 14 games this year. And they still might this season could get shut down before <laughs> then. <laughs> but I have uh, faith in them to, to in, have a cold streak as cold as this hot streak has been. Well, in the course of 60 games, I think that given that they're already five and three, it's hard to imagine. I mean, right now they could contend for a playoff spot. Their playoff odds are up to 9% at Fangraphs, and the Rays are, are still probably going to make the playoffs anyway. If it were a 10 team structure, that might be different. But how funny was it to watch those games? And it wasn't like the the Rays were just playing poorly. The Orioles were coming up with clutch hits. Their bullpen was performing well on the whole. I think one of their wins was an extra inning game. So that was really enjoyable to watch at the same time as, you know, it seems every news alert about the game is either someone else getting injured or someone testing positive. Yeah. Break up the Orioles. And I agree with you. And and the TV ratings across the league have also increased relative to last season. So I, I don't think it's just us that is feeling that sort of sentiment about baseball. We're happy to have the game back. We're happy to have any sorts of any sort of sport back. And we're conflicted about that too. And when you read about pitcher injuries, when you read about positive tests, that brings you down. And then if you can kind of compartmentalize, which is difficult to do, there's so much to be excited about too. And I'm excited when some highly touted prospect comes up or when someone I've been waiting for months and months to see performs well. And so part of me is saying, yes, it is preposterous that this season is still going on. And part of me is crossing my fingers and hoping that it continues to go on because every day something weird happens, something fun happens, something exciting happens. And speaking of that, I guess we can mention some of those things. Yeah. Before we we move on, um, I did want to come back to Ed sort of in the, in the spirit of not really knowing how to feel, but but uh, but feel just knowing that you feel a lot. I did want to mention the uh, the some of the rhetoric um, that popped up this weekend um, that the first thing that, that really bothered me was was Rob Manfred coming out and, and saying that he didn't want to cancel the season um, because he's not a quitter. Uh, and that that it sort of it carries the, the connotation that that if there comes a point where the response, the only responsible thing to do is to shut everything down, then that means quitting or giving up, particularly in this sports context. And we saw this with, with, uh, whatever it was the Mets did with Cespedes. Um, uh, the idea that if you opt out or, or that if games get canceled, that's giving up. I think that's a really dangerous, um, you know, it's, it's easy to see where that mindset grows out of, of sports culture, but it, I think it's a really dangerous thing to, to talk like that right now. And especially when he sort of put the blame on the players entirely in that statement, which certainly on an individual level, there are players, it, it seems, who probably have not complied with the regulations or the, the best practices for playing in a pandemic. But it is not solely the player's fault. They're dealing with the same conditions that we all are. And MLB has had more than its fair share of struggles, too. So to have a sort of sentiment of we're all in this together at certain times and then at other times quickly switch to we're in this but you're screwing it up so get your act together that is just not I think the best tone for a commissioner to take but perhaps not a surprising one for Manfred to take at this point we've talked enough about how that's the same approach they use to their financial discussions but the the idea that you are a a communal civic institution at some points when it suits your needs and a more cutthroat capitalistic, uh, every man for himself enterprise at others is, I think, one of the many tensions we're dealing with at the moment. Yeah. And I, what I keep coming back to, like one of the few things that I feel a real sense of moral certitude about is that it, when these outbreaks happen, I have a really hard time really casting blame on the players. Like this is not something that this is not in, a problem caused by individual action. And that, that leads me to all you know, almost feel sympathy for, for Manfred and and the people at, at MLB because they're in a situation that is not of their own making that they're not really well equipped to handle and really shouldn't have to be well equipped to handle. Like this is the the result of of uh, you know specific governmental policy and you know I've wrote I've I've written about MLB and its role in coming back from from natural disasters, for instance, and and. It's not, you know, it's not their job. It's not, it's not something we should expect an inter- entertainment uh, business to be able to handle well. And you know, that doesn't mean that it's that 
players shouldn't wear masks in the dugout or that they shouldn't go to casinos or whatever was rumored uh, to happen in, in a couple of these cases. Um, and, you know, it's not it doesn't take away MLB's response. Um, duty to, to act responsibly and to, to keep the, the safety of, uh, of its workers, um, at, at front of mind. But, you know, this is, this is not what anybody in this game is trained for. And I think we're a lot of the clumsiness, uh, that, that we're seeing in the, in the first couple of weeks of the season, a lot of the need to roll with the punches is based, is based on that, that unpreparedness. And, you know, I, and I just, yeah, I just hope nobody, you know, Nobody suffers uh, career life-altering uh, consequences as a result of that. So I apologize, Ben. You set up a really awesome segue uh, to our next segment, and I just stomped all over that so I could uh, vent about my own anxiety. But if there's any better microcosm for how this podcast tends to go, uh, I challenge you to find it. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back uh, right after this. Ringer MLB Show is brought to you by FanDuel. Put on your checkered pants and your most ridiculous shirt because fantasy golf season is in full swing. Think you have what it takes to beat Bill Simmons' house and the Ringer staff in a season-long fantasy golf tournament? Then enter the Fairway Roland Doe Leaderboard Series at FanDuel today. Here's the deal. Enter each contest across the PGA Championship, the Masters, the Tour Championship, and the U.S. Open. For each contest, you'll have a chance to win thousands in cash prizes. As the season goes on, we'll tally up your scores and put you on the series leaderboard, finish at the top of the leaderboard, and you'll win the inaugural Fairway Roland Doe Championship jacket, not to mention a lifetime of bragging rights. Go to FanDuel.com slash Fairway Roland to enter the contest now. Listen to the Bill Simmons podcast and Fairway Roland podcast throughout the golf season to find out how you stack up against the competition and go to FanDuel to enter the Fairway Roland Doe Leaderboard Series. Four, agent location restrictions apply. Here's something that that I wish MLB had done differently. There are many reasons why I I really wish they had just done whatever I had told them to, but they're keeping pretty much a normal game schedule where you have afternoon games, sometimes in the one o'clock block, sometimes the three o'clock block, but mostly during the week we're getting night games as opposed to the NHL who is running games 14, you know, 14 hours a day. And if you're home, you can watch it at any point. And it's, you know, it's got a real, uh, first weekend of March madness feel to it with the, the NHL qualifying tournament and baseball has decided to keep to its normal schedule, which means that you get, I guess not home from work, but you, you turn off your work computer. You, you, uh, turn on the TV and you have any one of, of a number of games to, to choose from. And so what we're going to do is a segment called baseball sommelier, where we help you choose. We, we recommend maybe a full, a full bodied red for you, uh, with your dinner, uh, and, and evening entertainment. So Zach, what are you, what are you looking for on uh, as you you sit down in front of the TV to to watch a, an evening slate of games? Well, this isn't uh, number one on my list, but because you transitioned here with the phrase of full bodied red, uh, I think I'm going to start with the Ohio starting pitchers, uh, specifically some of uh, the Reds who were very exciting before the season and have been even better in practice thus far. If you look at team-wide starter strikeout rates this year. You have Cleveland at 34.5% and Cincinnati at 34.4%. No other rotation is above 29, so that shows you kind of the separation there. And just to put that number in context, last year, 35% was where Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer were. So as a whole, the Cincinnati and Cleveland pitching staffs have been striking out as many batters as Cy Young winner last year in the American League. And I think this speaks to what is so exciting about both of these teams. I picked the the Reds to win the NL Central this year after many years not really contending for the playoffs. And that's partly because they have a really good staff one through five. Luis Castillo, I think, was one Cy, preseason Cy Young pick uh, among people on this call. Sonny Gray uh, maybe deserves the Cy Young right now if they were giving out the award. And then in Cleveland, I think Shane Bieber is the definite answer there. So if you're interested in a really good pitching matchup, just basically look at whichever one of the Ohio teams is on at the moment. And odds are you'll you'll tune in for a pretty good pitcher. I don't know how you guys feel, but I 
think I'd recommend the the tasting menu approach to this season. I haven't really been sitting down for the full course meal just because I've been deprived of baseball for so long and I'm so anxious that it could be taken away at any moment that I find myself flipping around a lot, which I do under normal circumstances to some extent, but I almost feel like I have to see everyone just in case it all gets snatched away. And one player that I made sure to see and will continue to make sure I see is Clayton Kershaw. So Clayton Kershaw is a pitcher who has been returned to us from the injured list. I've been talking a lot. I've been writing about the pitcher injury epidemic that's happening now, seemingly as a result of the abbreviated ramp up to the season. And we've lost a lot of big name pitchers and guys we really enjoy watching, most notably perhaps Shohei Otani. And Clayton Kershaw started the season on the IL with his annual back stiffness, but he came back. And I'm not going to say he looked like the young vintage Kershaw of old. But he looked closer to that than we've awesome. seen in some I, yeah, time. I he watched, looked, yeah. Watch that game over the weekend. It it was unbelievable. He looked really good. It's probably the best I've seen him look. And and don't get me wrong, he was quite effective even with his diminished stuff. But in this start, his stuff had really bounced back. And we heard that he vowed over the offseason that he was going to get some of his velocity back. He went to driveline. He tried some new training tactics. And based on what we saw in that first start, it seems to have worked because he was hitting 93 with regularity. And that's not peak Kershaw velocity, but it's a heck of a lot better than we've seen from him lately where he's been hovering around 90 and you know if he can get by at 90 and and be a pretty effective pitcher then at 93 that gives him a a much longer leash and hopefully a longer lease on his career and he just totally shut down the Diamondbacks in his first start he threw 81 pitches over five and two-thirds didn't give up a run struck out six didn't walk anyone so if that's the Kershaw we're going to see I'm pretty excited to have him back again. I think it's interesting that you say you've been flipping around from game to game or that's usually my approach during a normal season. I think when I'm watching for a lot of statistical benchmarks, I might flip around and think, oh, you know, this guy has 30 home runs, so I want to see him hit. But this year, I think I've been much more focused on just going one game at a time and really soaking in in the baseball of it all, which is, I guess, kind of strange because you don't have so many of the parts of the broadcast that normally subsist you for three hours. You don't have the fans, you don't have the chance. But I think I've basically just been picking a a pitching matchup and watching it at least until the relievers come in and then find another pitching matchup. I think that's why I've watched a couple Lance Lynn starts for Mike. Uh, But but I think Kershaw was a great example where I didn't want to flip from game to game while he was on the mound. I just wanted to continue watching him throw. Ben, if you're what you call the tasting menu, the the trying a little bit of everything. Could you describe that as, you know, maybe we could describe that as a little bit of Rymel tapas. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like it. Good one. All right. Uh, thank you. I worked <laughs> long and hard on that pun. I didn't listen to a thing you said because I was working on that joke. Um, it really paid the, off. <laughs> I really think so. All right. So my like main course, the, the thing that I'm, I, uh, Uh, have been consuming a lot of is perhaps unsurprisingly for regular listeners of this podcast is the San Diego Padres. And I think there are a lot of obvious places uh, to look on that team um, for entertainment value or really interesting or unique things that that you could see on a baseball field. You know, Manny Machado, we talked at length about uh, uh, Chris Paddock, uh, Garrett Richards, Maybe, maybe this will be the year he holds up. Um, I think, I think it is worth pointing out that Fernando Tatis Jr. might be the most entertaining player in baseball at this moment. Like he might, this is, this really feels like a, the leap year for him in terms of not just production. Uh, cause I think this gets lost cause he was hurt last year, but when he was on the field, he hit just, just as a hitter, he was as good as uh Pete Alonzo last year uh, on a per plate appearance basis. And you add into that playing shortstop, the base running, the aggressiveness, the, you know, there's just a bounce to the way he walks around the, the, the field that you really get in, in only top end athletes on the, on the baseball diamond. Um, it's just, I almost want to describe it as Francisco Lindor, but like 150% the size, like there's that similar charisma that, that he hits and plays, plays the field with. And I think there's, I don't know that there's a a player quite like him right now. Um, but I do want to go a little bit off the board within the Padres and pick a couple of players who maybe weren't on the, 
uh, I guess they were on the radar, but Trent Grisham has been absolutely unbelievable this season. Um, as, uh, as we record right now, uh, he's hitting 293, 396, 683. That's a 202 OPS plus, which is better than Tatis, better than Manny Machado, better than Jerks and Profar. Um, I don't know that he was uh, a real big factor in that trade this offseason. I guess the, the Padres really saw something in him um, after only uh, a half a season of big league production. They plugged him in. He's playing center field every day. He's been fantastic. And that lineup has depth all the way up and down the, uh, the batting order. Jake Cronenworth, favorite of at least mine, if not the entire pod, has uh, has been playing in the lineup regularly. The other guy I want to single out is Denelson Lamette, who uh, the hard throwing uh, right hander, who the most unbelievable number for him is he's listed at 6'3, 228, and he looks like he's like six foot seven on the mound. He's got that tall and fall delivery, um, hits 100 miles an hour with the fastball, incredible slider. He's pitched really well this season. So he's he's rapidly becoming one of those pitchers that I look up and down the, the daily uh, schedule and I see him on the on the order and I make a point to go watch him. The Padres lead the majors in runs scored per game right now, which I don't necessarily expect to continue. But when's the last time that you could say the San Diego Padres had one of the best lineups in baseball? It feels like for, you know, the last couple decades, it's been, well, you have a good Adrian Gonzalez season here and you might have a breakout like Carlos Quentin season there. But for the most part, it's, been a pretty anonymous group of, of hitters and now you have just these exciting players but also who put a lot of runs on the board and i think that's one of the reasons that this team continues to excite me uh my preseason world series pick and i'm not backing off them now yeah it's the pitching has and they've always just sort of scraped by it's it's they've had the jake Peavy or the kevin brown and they've tended to have really good uh, bullpens, but the the offense, even when they had Tony Gwynn, I'm just looking at baseball reference, they've never scored 800 runs in a season in franchise history. And that's, you know, that speaks to this has been a pitching dominant team or just a bad team all the way back to 1969. And, I, you know, the pitching has been really good too. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think you're right. This might be the, the best, the deepest lineup they've ever had. Well, if you took someone who was under the radar, I'm taking someone who came into the season as probably the biggest blip on the radar, Luis Robert, who really has been as spectacular as advertised. And it's sort of a surprise that he has lived up to the hype the way he has, I think, just because the hype was so extreme coming into the season with the reputation he had, with the highlights he had in summer camp when he fell down and still hit a home run and everyone was raving about him. And he's been drawing trout compared for years now, which we should probably pump the brakes a little bit on that. But he has sort of justified it to this point. I think he is, as we speak, leading the American League in Fangraphs war. And again, he comes in as, you know, the top prospect. I'm Mr. Chalk. So, of course, he was my rookie of the year pick. And even I thought that there was some chance that he would struggle a little bit, that there would be some period of acclimation, some growing pains, because if you had to ding him on something, it might have been his plate discipline. And you could look at that strikeout to walk ratio and say, well, maybe pitchers will exploit some holes for a little while until he figures it out. And that just hasn't happened. I mean, he has looked fantastic so far and not only at the plate where he just kind of announced himself with, you know, a 115 mile per hour batted ball, which is in that rarefied territory where when someone hits a single ball that hard, you know right away, okay, this is going to be a player if you didn't know already just because of his reputation. And he's really shown that in every facet of the game. I mean, defensively, he's looked great. On the bases, he's looked great. He's shown elite sprint speed. He's sort of a, a stat cast superstar already, which I think one of the nice things about having StatCast is that you can see a single play and you can say, oh, okay, this guy's good. And, you know, if you were a scout and you were applying the eye test, then you could maybe always do that. But we can do that now just looking at a leaderboard. If you see someone up in that territory, you know, oh, okay, it's not a fluke. You can't fluke your way into that. And nothing that he's done thus far has looked like a fluke. 
And that's really exciting. So I hope that he is just going to sustain this all season and that, you know, last year, for instance, we saw Aloy Jimenez come in as the the touted rookie on the White Sox and he struggled a little bit and, you know, he had some injuries and he looked better later in the year, but it wasn't quite the big rookie year that had been projected for him. Robert seems to be well on the way to having that year. And it's always exciting when someone just comes in and makes an immediate splash like that. Jimenez was a top top 10 prospect, but Lou Bob is like a completely different class of, of ball player. At least that's the potential because because of the like he's a center fielder and he's that big and he has that much power and he's a legit center fielder. And I, you know, the tools are I mean, you really could have said this about Yohan Makata a couple of years ago. The tools are are as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. All right. So as we were talking about who to watch. I was sort of racking my my brain and figuring out over the the first two weeks of the season which teams had shown up on my TV the most. Like you know, obviously I watched the Kershaw start, I watched the the Lance Lynn start, I watched a couple Rays games early, I watched Nate Pearson's debut, stuff like that. You know, obvious answers. Uh, and then I realized I'd watched a ton of San Francisco Giants, which is very, I don't know, it's not something I expected because they were. Um, maybe the least interesting team in baseball to me going into the season. And they've played a bunch of well, first of all, they've played against a bunch of teams uh, that I've been interested in watching. So, you know, they played the Padres, they played the Dodgers. And so like I was watching the giants for their opponents. I guess I had done, I had mentally blocked out the amount of chaos inherent in a team managed by Gabe Kapler. Um, and so there's that, I've I've caught a couple Johnny Cueto starts, including the one last night where he almost fell over trying to deliver a pitch and then threw like a wicked changeup or something and induced a weak ground ball. Uh, and here's something that I'm just I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop on Mike Yastrzemski. Like he was not any kind of prospect coming out of Vanderbilt. He was not any kind of serious prospect. Like on, on a team that was better than the Giants, he probably wouldn't have gotten the playing time that he got last year where he uh, he hit um, something like 20 home runs. And he's, as of right now, he is the baseball reference offensive war leader for all of Major League Baseball. He has been unbelievable this season. And I, you know, this is sort of a, some of these, um, uh, some of these picks I think are like these things we like watching because they are good. And there are elements of the Giants that are good. You know, Donovan Solano, for some reason, is hitting 4 457, leading the major leagues in batting average. And every time I watch, like I've watched him, every time I see him on the field, no matter, regardless of, of, of whether I've watched him two days before, I always look at him and think, hasn't Donovan Solano been out of baseball since 2015? And it's just a team full of guys like that. And it's it's unpredictable. For good or ill, it's completely unpredictable. And so if you want, I don't need they're, they're a team for this age. Let let me put it that way. I can't believe that even in a season where we have said that war probably will not be that reliable, particularly after a week. I don't think anybody should look at war after a week. And in a segment where we're just talking about the players we like to watch, we have now ended up choosing Mike Yastrzemski, who ranks number one in Fangraph's war. Uh, Lou Bob, who ranks number two in Fangraph's war. Trent Grisham, who ranks number three in Fangraph's war. <laughs> Fernando Tatis, who's in a tie for fourth. And uh, the next person I'm going to pick, who is Aaron Judge, who is also tied for fourth. Aaron Judge is hitting a lot of home runs again, and that's exciting. Uh, Judge has dealt with injuries basically nonstop for the last couple of years, uh, and he is back to hitting home runs, and not just hitting home runs, but hitting monster home runs and pulling the ball again. Uh, last year, he did not pull a single home run until late August, and that, as we remember, was a season that started in March, not a season... That started in July. Aaron Judge has already pulled five home runs this season. Uh, he recently hit six home runs in five games, including a couple game winners. So not only do you get the monster home runs, but you can hear his teammates getting really excited in the dugout because they're game winners. Uh, and if you look at the longest home runs hit this year, number one is Giancarlo Stanton. Number two is Aaron Judge. And number three is Giancarlo Stanton. Ever since Stanton joined the Yankees in 2018, we've been wondering what it would look like when both of these players are performing at their peak at the same time, what that would do to opposing pitchers, how the lineup would look. And I think we're finally getting that now. So as annoyed as as most listeners might be that the Yankees have the best record in baseball and are just firing on all cylinders right now, I think 
that particular aspect of it is kind of a marvel to watch, uh, regardless of your rooting interest. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, that Stan in particular is back because he's, uh, you know, when he came up, I, I'm not sure I'd ever seen a baseball player quite like him. That level of power, you know, was unique in the game until Judge came along and he's suffered. You know, we talked about and I wrote a uh uh, on Monday about judge suffering through injuries and maybe finally being healthy for the first time in three years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do wonder if, if a healthy stand could have hit something like 600, 650 home runs. Um, it's very cool to see both of those guys, um, firing on all, on all cylinders. You know, I'm personally, I'm going to take a uh, pass on them for, for the Wednesday double header because I, uh, have a personal aversion to watching the Phillies right now, but if you know if they get into the bullpen in either one of those games, we could see a lot of home runs. Yeah, I was going to take the, the combination of of Judge and Stanton too. I don't know how you can not enjoy that. I guess probably a lot of people can not enjoy it because they don't enjoy anything that goes well for the Yankees, understandably. But seeing those two guys just in the same lineup, healthy for the first time in a while, and actually hitting the ball harder and farther than anyone else in baseball can has been a lot of fun. So since that's off the board, I think I'm I'm going to kind of go with a hipster pick here and take someone that I was really looking forward to seeing coming into the season, which is Cleveland reliever James Karinchak, who just fascinates me because he has seemingly the, the best strikeout stuff in baseball. And I enjoy when the random guy has a, a really great strikeout outing, like Tyler Alexander of the Tigers, who struck out nine consecutive batters recently with uh, some help from the home plate umpire. But James Karinchak came into the season, I think, projected for the highest strikeout rate of any pitcher in the American League, maybe the highest other than Josh Hader in baseball. And thus far, he has backed up that hype and he has struck out, I think, eight hitters in five innings thus far. He is not allowed to run. He recorded his first save already for Cleveland. So he is kind of moving up already in the bullpen hierarchy. And he's just someone I've been following since he was in the minors because his stats were so eye-popping. And I'm always kind of conflicted about this because in general, I'm not pro strikeout. I, I don't think I'm as anti strikeout as you are, Mike, but in general, I don't think it's a, a good thing that there are fewer balls in play. And yet when someone comes along who can just blow everyone away, particularly when they do it with two pitches and they're just so dominant and and they're not necessarily throwing as hard as Aroldis Chapman, they're just unhittable anyway. And you see those rate stats that just would have been inconceivable when we were growing up watching the game not too terribly long ago. And Karen Chat can do that. And I was really curious to see if he could translate those minor league stats over to the majors. And thus far, he has. He has been pretty untouchable in the majors, too. So I'm looking forward to seeing how high that K rate can go. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not pro high strikeout rate in the aggregate, but like I'm not pro giant monster destroying a city. But if Godzilla shows up, I'm going to stick my head out the window and watch. Right. Exactly. And so, yes. yeah, you mentioned the I'm like we have to because you said James Karinczak, we have to talk about and read off the minor league strikeout rate. Last year, he he threw 30 in the third innings and faced 125 batters across three minor league levels and had 74 strikeouts. That is a K to nine ratio of an even 22. Yep. And I think if your K to nine ratio starts with a two, whether it's two or 22, that makes it that makes you a pitcher worth watching. Yes, I agree. And, and every now and then there will be someone whose strikeout rates don't really translate. Like I remember getting super excited about Eduardo Ramirez, the Yankees reliever who had similarly eye-popping strikeout rates for his day. And then he came up and it turned out that it didn't really work as well. You know, he had this great changeup that just didn't fool big league batters quite as much. He, he still struck out guys, but it, it wasn't like his minor league rates. He didn't turn into a dominant late inning arm for long. And so when someone can translate it and it turns out that it's not just some funk in their delivery or some deception or something that big league hitters can eventually catch on to, I love it. It's just kind of a, a magic trick to see guys swing and miss over and over or take pitches for strikes. So 
Karen Chak just has that uncanny ability. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily look like Josh Hader, but the results are somewhat similar, at least in the strikeout column. It looks like somebody dropping a bag of hammers at a, at a construction site. It's a, like, <laughs> it, like he doesn't not have funk in his delivery. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. I still think about Eduardo Ramirez's changeup sometimes. So that was <laughs> quite a blast from the past. This must have that been was, a Yankee thing. I don't think I had ever heard of Eduardo Ramirez until today. Well, he yeah. came up, I think, in what 2007, maybe, and that was when I first started understanding what like prospects were who could come mm-hmm. up and just like enter middle relief and immediately start blowing people away. And I remember for years being convinced that he would just finally turn it around. You know, he'd get through one inning unscathed and I think that's it. He's ready now. And uh, he retired with a career ERA of 5.19. I'm wondering like there's, I hesitate to ask this question because I don't have a good answer for this off the top of my head is, but what is the longest you've waited on a prospect and like been convinced that it's still in there despite all the evidence to the contrary? I Do mean, fitting it? with fitting with the bit, does Garrett Richards still count? I was going to say, <laughs> like, Garrett, Garrett Richards is going to be 41 years old, and I'm going to be like, it's still there. It's still got yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know. Russell Brannion, <laughs> maybe. That's I'm still one. pretty sure he's going to set the all-time home run record one of these days. But yeah, Russell Brannion or, or Nick Johnson, maybe, who actually did turn Nick out to Johnson be good. Nick Johnson was a good He just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he had a, a pretty solid major league career. All right, we're going to continue talking about things that you should watch uh, when we come back with our uh, unnamed playoff odds segment after this. All right, so we're going to return with a segment we did last week, and I've decided to just steer into the skit on this one and continue calling it the unnamed playoff odds segment. Bobby, do you think we can get like a a jingle or drop for this? (laughs) I I I know that Ben is the expert on jingles and drops. I don't know if I can create something on the fly, but I'll, I'll, I'll put something in there. You'll have to listen back for a surprise. Okay, cool. We did like unnamed playoff odds segment. So what we're going to do in this segment, in case you weren't listening to last week's show, uh, we're going to take a look at some of the, biggest risers and fallers uh, in playoff odds in the past week and and sort of discuss the the situation, see if there is cause for alarm or for, for jubilation, uh, as the case may be. Um, and I'm going to go first because I've decided in the past 18 hours that I am all in on the first place Colorado Rockies, uh, <laughs> whose playoff odds are up 22% since the last time we talked. Uh, when I did my playoff uh, or my power rankings before the season, the, I had the Rockies somewhere in the early 20s. And I, I said, like, this is the worst team that wouldn't shock me if they made the playoffs. And then when I wrote them, the playoffs were only 10 teams. So it would be even less shocking uh, if they made it into a 16-team playoff. But the the key with them is they have, they have four starting pitchers uh, all in their mid-20s who have been up to Cy Young caliber good at, but have, at, at some times, but have also been like eight ERA bad at other times. And they've never had all four of them be good at the same time. Well, right now through nine games, through two starts for each of these guys, Kyle Freeland, 150 ERA, Herman Marquez, 154 ERA, John Gray, 261 ERA, Antonio Senzatella, 245 ERA. Uh, and that's why they're seven and two despite losing a game to a, a Wade Davis blown save and putting Davis on the, the injured list. Uh, I've decided like, I know I'm, I'm a man of, of bits who of bits that stop being bits when they come true. This is a bit that I'm committing to until it comes true. It's kind of hard to believe that Matt Kemp was never a Rocky before now. It seems like he would have fit well in course field and he, he's hitting well so far. Like I, I'm not sure how long that's going to, stick around but you talked before about how the giants have a bunch of guys who seemed like they were out of baseball in 2015 well that seems true of kemp and that was literally true of daniel bard who was one of the coolest stories in baseball this year and if you're going to watch the rockies try and and pick a spot to watch daniel bard pitch because he had not thrown in the majors in seven years uh he was really just a, a really sad story about a guy who got the yips and was walking every batter he faced and 
went to indie ball and finally rediscovered himself. So I'm not sure if I if I have your same enthusiasm for the Rockies actual odds of winning, but they're certainly fun to watch with players. Excuse like me, this. the first place Colorado Rockies. Sorry, please sorry. Use the full the name of the franchise. Colorado Rockies. But you know, Daniel Bard has now thrown five and two thirds innings this year and not walked a single batter. So that's just as encouraging, I think. Shohei Otani would be so should be so lucky. Oh, low blow. Zach, who is your your uh, choice for the unnamed playoff odds segment? Uh, I'm choosing the Chicago White Sox, who we touched on a little earlier talking about Luis Robert. The White Sox seem like maybe more than any other team, uh, the group that the 16 team bracket was designed for. I'm not sure how likely they would have been to sneak into a 10 team bracket, even in a, a shortened season, just because in the American League, you have the division leaders and then the Athletics and the Rays and Cleveland, who are all, I think, probably better than Chicago. But after that, it's wide open. Uh, over the last week, Chicago's playoff odds have risen by 28 percentage points, uh, slightly more than the first place Colorado Rockies for the best in baseball. And I think the, what makes the White Sox so exciting is their lineup from top to bottom, not just Robert and Aloy Jimenez, but some of the holdovers like Jose Abreu is hitting. Uh, the White Sox as a team have an OPS over 800. They and the Yankees are the only teams that can say that. Uh, and now Nick Madrigal is up a favorite of the podcast who hasn't hit that well so far. He has even struck out twice, which is kind of a disappointment for the Grossly player. Who, disappointing. Yeah, it was never supposed to strike out. But I think the White Sox have a great lineup one through nine. And basically every game they play has, has been a slugfest so far. And their pitching has by the same token, not been very good. Uh, but I I have faith in pitchers like Keuchel and Giolito uh, to turn it around and at least keep keep the opposition in check enough for the offense to do its job. And at this point, Fangraph says, the White Sox are 80% favorites to make the playoffs for the first time in a while, and I would take those odds. Yeah, if Zach hadn't taken the White Sox here, I would have because they were on the short list of teams that I was most excited to see coming into the season. I think they kind of won the winter and winning the winter is not always all that predictive of your regular season performance. I, I think like Zach, they were not quite ready. They were not fully baked to take the leap this year, but in a 16 team playoff field and with their success in this past week, I think they are in that position and there's so many individual players on that team that I really enjoy watching and I'm excited to see a little less so with Kopech out for this season, but still there are a lot of guys there, whether it's Robert or Jimenez or Madrigal, who I think are really exciting and, and Mankata and the list goes on and on guys who either have sort of reached their potential recently or are still in the process of getting there and are kind of new they're they're sort of the the young kids on the block to a certain extent we've been waiting for a while for this white Sox rebuild to pay dividends and it was sort of a a bold tear down and they traded a lot of big name players and got a lot of prospects back and now it's finally paying off so after years of being able to look at that farm system and sort of salivate over the prospect rankings now those prospects are mostly in the majors and we're watching them and that's really fun so i i hope that they can continue that success because I'd like to see them in October if we are still playing baseball in October. My team is on the other end of the spectrum here. It's the New York Mets who were the big loser of this week, not only from a PR perspective, but from a playoff odds perspective. They lost 23 percentage points that that put them at the, the bottom of the list of teams that took a plunge. And that is partially, of course, the fact that they lost the services of UNS Cespedes for the rest of the season. But it's also the fact that as we speak, they are four and seven in a division that has partially or mostly been sidelined this season, but still even compared to the records that other teams have been able to compile, they've dug a, a bit of a, a hole by 60 game season standards here. And Atlanta is at seven and four. The Mets have the reverse record. So they have a little ground to make up there and losing Cespedes, losing Stroman the way that they did shortly before the season started, Robert Gesellman too. They were my surprise pick coming into the season before we heard about the Stroman injury. And I still believe that there's a lot of talent on this team. And with Cespedes, I thought the lineup was really imposing. I mean, every hitter in that lineup was pretty quality and, and fun to watch. But having lost Cespedes, not having Stroman right now, 
And having gotten off to sort of a rough start, I don't know that they can overcome that. But they were also, I think, like the White Sox, one of those teams that were on the bubble that in theory should benefit from the expanded playoff format. I'm not that worried about the Mets right now. I, you know, they're still, they're three within three games of the Braves who, and we talked about pitcher injuries, Mike Soroka, you know, obviously right. after the year after uh, a freak injury, trying to field a ground ball the other night. Um, that's even, even with only, what is that? 49 games left. That's not an insurmountable lead. And, you know, we'll see what, what comes of the nationals. I'm not that, I don't think it'll be that hard for them to, to leapfrog the, the Phillies or the Marlins. Um, no. so yeah, so 23%, I, I still think there's reason to be optimistic. Yeah. I want to believe, <laughs> I think the Mets can do it. I think they can still surprise, which at this point, not having a PR disaster in a given week would be a surprise. <laughs> so if they can do that between now and the next time we talk, I'll count that as a good prediction. It's, they do live in this weird space where everything they do is both surprising and not surprising. <laughs> yeah, right. And I've uh, we've long maintained and, and we've talked on the show before about how I think Mets fans have made even more, perhaps, of the Mets suffering and, and struggles over the last several years compared to some other teams. But they have had it hard. And just the way that that team communicates and is managed has, I think, just added uh, another layer of suffering to the on-field results, which haven't always been so terrible. So I'm hoping that this team, this core that's in place right now, I mean, Jacob deGrom is is holding up his end of the park and right, my Mr. Chalk and El Cy Young award pick is, uh, is looking pretty good so far for a three-peat. So I thought, and you know, if Cindergaard had been healthy this season, they would have been my pick to win the division, I think. So I've just been bumping them down bit by bit and player loss by player loss, and I hope they can still sneak in there. Robinson Cano is on fire right now. Robinson Cano is on fire. He's hitting 412. And you know, I was making fun of Bobby before we started recording, who Bobby, our wonderful producer who is a Mets fan and has long complained about the trade that brought Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz to New York in exchange for top prospect Jared Kalanick. And uh Jared Kalanick's really good. So I'm not sure if this that trade will ever look good in hindsight, but Robinson Cano has long been one of the best hitters in baseball. And I'm I'm glad that his career isn't going to just completely flatline uh as soon as he gets to new york and or you know back to new york uh the opposite side and that he'll at least have some chance to to hit well for the team all right so i think that wraps up the unnamed playoff odds segment and indeed this week's podcast thank you zach for joining me today thank you thank you mr chalk my pleasure Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Uh, thanks to Luis Robert, Mike Yastrzemski, and Denelson Lamette for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time.